Welcome back to Officially Unofficial. I'm your host, Johnny Junson. We're here with a special guest. He is a man of many trades. He's a YouTuber. He's a fifth-round draft pick. He's a former Raging Cajun, and he's a prospect for the Milwaukee Brewers. It is my pleasure to welcome Hayden Cantrell to the Official Unofficial podcast. What's up, brother? Man, how's it going, man? Just happy to be here. You know, just trying to keep you loose, man. There it is. And I'll say this right off the bat. I genuinely think you have the most electric hair in the 2020 MLB draft. It has to be said. It has to be said. Hey, I'll take that. You know, I didn't always get the compliments growing up because, you know, for a while I was stuck trying to do the beaver flip. Yeah, I feel Um, that. But you know what? I ended up learning that the mohawk was pretty much my go-to, so – it's an, electric, it's an electric hairstyle, and honestly, it looks cool. I feel like it looks cool when it's wet also because it's it just like it's fluffy. It's an electric hairstyle, I'll be honest. You better keep it, and now you can embrace it. Off, and when you're running around the base pass, you can also do this now. Just kind of take that helmet off by accident. Like by accident, the helmet came off, and your hair looks electric on the base pass. Now yeah, you right. kind of have that. Uh, you can do that easily now. Is that something you've done before? Yeah, definitely. The helmet comes off every now and then. Uh... You know, I have I have seen that it does look really good, you know, when it comes off after running <laughs> first base. So, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But uh, I believe it. Yeah, whenever I get the single flap, hopefully in the big leagues, that'll be something that'll just come off more often. I'll just I'll have to show off, you know, the flow, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I wanted to go into the. I mentioned you were a YouTuber. You make videos. You do all that stuff. So you you also posted with the on the momentum page. So can I? just kind of classify you as hopefully sooner than later a co-worker of mine because hopefully this podcast gets picked up by momentum sooner than later and you and our co-workers buzzing through we're just an electric duo hey man you speak things into existence that have the probability of happening man there it is. wow i'm ready to run through a brick wall after you just said that i'm like i'm just ready to go now but how did that even how did that come up like you and momentum kind of partnering and all that kind of stuff yeah so I, I, I've been an aggravating kid, you know, my entire life, you know, messaging, you know, all of my, like my role models and people I looked up to and, um, you know, the way Trevor and, and all those guys in momentum, the way they do things, you know, it's just, um, it really is kind of like the picture, you know, that I like the way they talk about the game and the way, you know, they promote it, you know, so I think uh, we had a, we had a very similar vision, um, you know, as far as, you know, where we want to take the game. And so, um, I think pretty sure, you know, all it took was, uh, you know, actually reached Taiki. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's also a co-owner of uh, Momentum. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's actually a guy who reached out to me. And, um, you know, it's just been really fun to produce with those guys. You know, they're so remarkably talented. And all the editors they have out there, you know, they really create a, uh, a just a fun creative culture. You know, not necessarily, you know, no rules, you know, just be. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like what I like to do. Yeah, well, let's tell let's tell Tyke Johnny Junta says what's up. I say what's up to momentum. We're trying to buzz here. Toronto <laughs> podcast. We'll get it going. We've had a bunch of big leaguers humble brag on the pod. Tyke, what's up? That's all I wanted to say there with that. <laughs> but I mean, what's your what's your background? I mean, have you have you had conversations with super agent Rachel Luba, like Trevor Bauer? Like, what's going on there? And uh, I mean, I um, I don't really stay stay in contact with them. You know, they got their own thing going on with free agency. I. I'd much rather not bother, you know, Trevor. I don't know his – I don't know Miss Lupa. Luba, how is it? How I think it's it? Luba. I think it's Luba. I could I could be butchering it. I, I'm, I, I'm not – I'll search it right now while you're telling the story. I don't know, but I know she's doing really big things in the agent world, you know, as, as being a female. So I know that's that stuff is pretty legit. But 
Um, you know, it's just I think I just think what they got going on over there is just um, they got they got a well-oiled engine. And, uh, you know, for my own self, you know, I'm kind of looking to get a, um, you know, a production staff. I think mine would probably be a little less um, probably a little less professional. Mine would probably be probably a little bit more done like like a kid would do it probably. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool. I actually have, I have some buddies around here that like to work the camera and stuff. So, um, you know, it's fun to get them in on it. Cause then they think they, you know, they want to do it themselves and that's, what's really fun. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm in the, I mean, like you see me, I'm in the contact game grinding out here. So you know how it is, but this is something I want to, let's go into your playing career for a second. Out of high school, you were drafted by the New York Yankees. You told Babe Ruth, you're not going to the Yankees. You said no to them. You declared to go to school. You pretty right. much just flipped off Babe Ruth, whatever, humble brag. What was that like to say no to the New York Yankees out of high school, the pinstripes, the most the most coveted franchise in baseball? Yeah, you know, definitely uh, you definitely have to check your pulse, you know, a little bit. You know, and that's and that's what draft day is like. Draft day is a very emotional day there. You wake up with the crazy amounts of butterflies and midday might you might think you're never getting picked up. Um and on that particular day, it was just, the, you know, the money was just wasn't right for me that year. Um, you know, I think at the time, most organizations wanted to make me an outfielder. Um, and where I was at the time, I can't hit with – I couldn't have hit with today's outfielders back then. Yeah. I had some work to do. So, um, I went to school. Uh, I got better with my glove. And so, now I can stay on the dirt. So, yeah. Um, you know, but it was just really interesting because I know my dad's favorite team uh, What is the Yankees. He would tell me growing up and stuff. And um, it's funny, I grew up a Red Sox fan. I um, I think my first uh, – I had a GameCube, and on my GameCube, like one of the one of the games I played all the time was MVP Baseball 2005. Yes, with, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Manny Ramirez on the cover. Yes, sir. Um, and Manny Ramirez became my favorite player. Um, and so I, I – just because of that, I became a Red Sox fan and blah, blah, blah. So um, it was kind of funny on draft day getting drafted by the Yankees of all teams because then I had my friends just, like, heckle me the whole time. So, but it was kind of cool, man. Yeah, no, it's definitely a humble brag to be able to tell. You get to tell the females. You get to tell the boys, like, I got drafted out of high school, and I said no. I said no to being drafted. I wanted to go to school. What was your options, though? I mean, um, with school-wise, because obviously you committed, you went to the Raging Cajuns. But what right. other options, like, was the SEC knocking on the door, the Big Ten? What was happening? I, I had offered from um, a TCU, LSU, Mississippi State, um, all, all those big schools, um, you know, and uh, Nickel State, um, you know, uh, West Virginia I was talking to for a little bit at the time. And then um, I had some football talks as well, you know, here and there, so – um, you know, at the time I was still considering, uh, playing both. I wanted yeah. to, initially I wanted to sign out of high school and then go, go back and play college football later afterwards. Um, but that ends up, that ended up not happening. And then when I got to college, um, I had MLB draft was the only thing I was thinking about. So I didn't even think about play football until now. And now I want to play football again. Isn't that crazy how that works? I can respect that. And definitely when you're taught, when you're talking about football, that ULL Raging Cajuns football team is kind of a wagon. I mean, they, they came out hot the start of the year. I think they lost actually and weren't ranked anymore, right? But they're, they were buzzing. 
They're 25 now. They're yeah, they're 25 now. Up. They're buzzing. So what do you think – and be honest here. Like, let's be honest. Do you think you would crack a spot on that roster right now? You just got to – probably, like, at a receiver position, I think so, yeah. yeah. I don't think – I think I run – I think I get open on anybody. There's I, – I run, and I think I move, and I change direction really well. So I may not be able to outrun the fastest cornerback, but I'll get open. There it know? is. A young Odell, a young OBJ. You got hey. the hair. I, that's what I'm thinking about. You have the OBJ hair. See, I can take that and run with that. If you're going to say OBJ, I'm going to run with that. You should. That's an incredible compliment besides the fact that he's injured right now. But, but all of, every factor besides that is you're a young OBJ. So I'll shout see. out to you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that. But no, but you're talking about football offers and all that. Right. Like wh- what schools were offering you for football? Um, so UL actually had offered like uh, as a return specialist kind of where okay. I was college, and then um, some JUCO looks. I had talked to some D one like uh, Houston. I had talked to a little bit for football, um, and that kind of fizzled after I'd committed for baseball. But um, that's kind of how recruiting for football went. Kind of once I committed for baseball, that kind of all slowed down until I was a senior in high school again. Um, and then I had started getting like those late football, like, Hey man, what's he up to? And it's like, he's committed already. Type yeah. Thing. So. so, but be honest here. And I, I, I usually ask this to guys that are dogs in high school. Were you just the high school legend? Like, were you the man walking around that school? Everyone was looking at you. You were signing babies, foreheads and shit. Like, were you the goat at the high school? See, I think, I think like, I think like my asshole friends would say yes, but like, I really didn't. I really didn't feel like that. You know, like I was also the guy, like I went to a Catholic school. So like, I was also the guy that also set up the church to get ready for church. You know what I'm saying? So like, I wasn't like the, like go crazy. It's like, I guess like the movie high school kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I feel that. Like that's, that was me. You know what I'm saying? So you were the goat on for the athletic aspect of it. Like you were doing shit. Like give me your give me the best numbers you had on the football field. Like how many tutties? What are you doing here? How many yards? Uh, I had so I think I think uh, in the quarterfinals, quarterfinals my junior year, which was my best year of football as a receiver. Um, I think I had like I think I had like twelve catches for like one ninety or something or like one one seventy or something, but. Um, I think like, I think a lot of my impact was felt on like third down, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay. I, I didn't necessarily get a lot of touches cause I wasn't necessarily like, I remember in high school, like I was, re- I'm really, I will really hurt you when you're like, I'm not the center of attention. And in high school, I wasn't as fast as I was back then. So I wasn't nearly as explosive. So like for me, but it was like third down, you knew the ball was coming to me you put your best defender on me and I was going to get the first down, but like, I didn't have breakaway speed back then. Okay. I ran track my junior year and I got really fast and I became a lot better football player. But like I said, that quarterfinal game, I was like, I think I had 11 catches. I was like the area player of the week. And it was, I think I had over like 170 receiving. It was one of my better games. But okay, so it was a good fan. It was a good fantasy point week. Like you were buzzing on the fantasy charts for the for the people that picked you up in your town. Realistically, yeah, every, every week, every week I was good for like I was good for six, seven, good six for seven catches. That'll play. That'll definitely play. But you mentioned TCU, which is like a nasty baseball school. How hard mm-hmm. was that for you to kind of turn that down, man? Because I mean, if you think TCU. 
pretty much we've had we had Alex Young on the podcast who used to play there. That's mm-hmm. like a that's like a major league baseball breeding factory at TCU. Certainly, you know that 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 is certainly a big time program, and uh, it just became a money thing. I I honestly couldn't afford going to school there. Yeah, you know, I, um, I think. I think even with offered a half scholarship and, you know, that's, that's hard to come by in college, especially at those big schools, getting a half scholarship, you'd still, I would have still been paying $30,000. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and we don't realize that here in Canada because our, our education, our university isn't expensive as that. But if you think about this, you're going to TCU, right? And even mm-hmm. if you're like out of state, out of stater, you're paying like 60 K 70 K to go to that school a year. And this isn't over four years. Like you're paying that a year. So if you're a baseball player and you're out of state, you really got to hope you got to hope you're good academically or athletically to get that scholarship or you're screwed realistically. Or you got to hope they love you enough to give you a lot more money. And that's yeah. hard. I mean, it's hard for those big schools to give. And I'm not that guy. I'm not I'm not the Kumar rocker, if you will. You know yeah. what I'm saying? The freak. Like, He's look, a freak. Yeah. I mean, those dudes, you look at them and you're like, no, like I can like this guy is going to be like my poster child. He is going to be you know, he is going to like, he's going to put people in the seats. Whereas like for a college coach, looking at a kid like me, like I'm not the obvious sell. Now, if you're asking me, I think I'm the obvious sell regardless, but yeah, for a coach is doing the recruiting for at the time a five foot eight, 150 pound baseball player. Like I'm not looking to put the house on him, you know, for sure. And, and you play, and like I mentioned, you play for the raging Cajuns. There's a guy that was on, that's on your Instagram. You posted videos with him, I think, pictures with him. My guy, a guy that I kind of – people, he's, he was on the show. I put him in my back pocket in junior college. I had a nuke off him. Then he got drafted by the Pirates. Logan Hoffman. Describe that relationship with Logan Hoffman besides the fact that you just say your my name to this guy and it just rent-free in his head. He's my boy. But I had a, I had a nuke off him. I had a nuke off him. I'm living rent-free in Logan Hoffman's head. Man, that's gold. Cause I tell you what, I don't think there's not very many people that I know that can live rent free in Hoffman's head because he's a dog. Oh, he's disgusting. I I met Logan Hoffman um for, uh, first year in the Cape, and I was just like, first off, I was overly shocked at how nice a human being could be. Canadian, be honestly, yeah. And I was <laughs> honestly, I was I was shocked, and so like automatically then like I was drawn to like his personality, or whatever, and then I was like. I watched him pitch and I was like, man, he got some fire. And then like best part I love about Logan is like, you can ask him what he's doing and he's telling you what he's doing. Like there are a lot of players that have a lot of plans and approaches. Right. And like a lot of time their plan or approach, like it it doesn't sync up. Like they have this plan and then they always do something else and they're okay with it. And that's fine too. But like, he has a goal for every pitch. Like, and I know it, like I see the intent and, when you face him in live at bats, and like I said, he came over, um, he came down a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember when that was. that was a long time ago, I think. But yeah, like I said, he came down, and uh, like you can tell, an obvious plan when plan catch, obvious plan. And we talk about you know an undersized guy like myself, right? I mean, these people like he does everything right just to get there, right? And now he gets in the competitive environment. And it's the same thing, you know, and that's that's the thing about players like him is I, I feel like a player like him is always going to have a chance because he's always in the he's always in the fight. He's not taking a pitch off. You know what I'm saying? He's not he's not flustered about 
a missed pitch, and then he gives up a nuke because he's flustered. You know what I'm saying? And were you surprised, though, looking at the, the, the stats that he put up in that short period of time for Northwestern, I believe they're called, right, North or Northeastern? Right. Correct. Northwestern. Okay, yeah. Were, were you surprised the fact that he put up an ERA that was below one? Because I wasn't seeing him in junior college. He's a freak. Absolutely not. Because because he and he's a guy that and my my one of my best friends is uh he kept, he caught him at Northwestern State uh, Austin Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Um. Or I don't maybe he didn't catch those games, but he's my best friend, and I remember him telling him I was he was like, yeah, apparently we got this stud from Canada coming in. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I remember telling him because I played with him that summer. I said, Oh, yeah, he's he's the best you're ever gonna catch. And he would tell me just like those Friday nights that Logan would pitch, it was just paint. You know paint. That stuff is sick. Dude, and it, it, it's like I said, I told it to him when he came on the show. That is something I'm gonna take to my grave that I had a nuke off of Logan Hoffman. A blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, 180 career JUCO hitter. But that's something I'm taking to the grave for that guy. But I want to talk about that league though, because that, I mean that conference with Northwestern, you guys, all that. They're to, not. We're not in the same conference. Are, are not in the same conference, but the the. That the baseball in that area of the country, what okay. is it like? Because it's not like a power five school or it's not any of that stuff. But what's the baseball like there? Are pitchers throwing heat like they usually do in the in the power fives, or is it a little bit more crafty kind of pitchers? Um, I think you'd be surprised to learn that um most colleges are not pitching the way pros are right now, and that is simply because they don't have the weaponry. So yeah, um competition, I'd say. Uh, I'll start with that question. Um, there's a lot of hungry players down in this area. There's a lot of over – just because Louisiana, the talent in this state is so big that um, there's a lot of kids who, who who aren't on scholarship that go to these programs. And so all of these programs to begin with, you got to have these that dirt bag, that grinder mentality to to survive mentally. You know what I'm saying? Because – there are kids out there who are going to take your job. And that's one thing I learned in college. And I love that. I was pushed every day by all of my teammates. And that's something you pretty much hear from all the programs around here. But as far as like arms are considered, like, um, like professionally, when I played, like I just had, I just came back from instructs. And yeah. every, every arm is, is like 95 to 97, four seam, top of the letter, like top of the zone. Like that's, that's what you're facing every time. Mm -hmm. College is a lot of, sinker change up you know what i'm saying it's a lot of that it's like fastball um the sliders aren't as good in college um but they do throw more change ups and pro ball they don't throw very many sliders but you say like the power five the power five schools i played didn't throw me any fastballs they were just throwing that off speed stuff they were scared to come at you with a fastball no and i'll be honest you got like i wouldn't have thrown me a I wouldn't have thrown me a fastball in college either because I couldn't hit a breaking ball. Like I was a terrible breaking ball hitter in college. So <laughs> I would have never thrown me, I would have never thrown me a fastball. Now I lit those up when I got them. I would have never been late, but change-ups, like I remember in college, like <laughs> I was like, I was telling my friends, I was like, I got trust issues over 2-0 change-ups. Yeah. So do I. I. And I'm thinking hit the ball in the pine trees and I get a change-up and I just hit a 300 hopper to second. Like, you know, what I've I'm been saying? there. Essentially, that's what I you would see more in college. I would say, you know, definitely like in that Southland Conference and the Sun Belt where I play. It's been a lot. It was a lot of like two seams, 
cutters, like little little short movement stuff like that. I'd say. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, especially when you're a guy that you were obviously the best player on your team. Get you got drafted fifth round. If I'm a power five school, I'm not going to throw you any fastballs, anyways. I'm going to be th- I'm going to be th- show- throwing you those changeups, sliders, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of makes sense with that. But I wanted to go into draft day here. Like I said, you were a fifth rounder. How weird was draft day for you? First of all, you get drafted only in the, the last round. There's only five rounds. Right. You're kind. You're kind of everyone's has to wear a mask if you're on video, all that kind of stuff. How weird was that? You couldn't really celebrate with all your friends, everyone that's been there for you. Well. Um, it's kind of interesting to say, I actually had all my family over. Um, yeah. we were, we were pretty cool about it. Um, you know, fortunately most of my family is in good health. So, um, essentially everybody who I thought was, was comfortable enough to come to my house was welcome. Uh, we had, we had a great time, you know, it was so cool being able to be surrounded by so much love on a day that, uh, meant so much to me, but also was, um, it was like, for a lot of people it was the realization of like all of their help as well. You know what I'm saying? Like I could look left and right, like the entire night and be like, he did this for me and she did this for me. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, it was very cool to not like, to not feel alone in that, like an experience. It was really cool to feel like, um, like it was all of us together, you know, who had finally accomplished the goal. And the funny part is, is like, it wasn't even an accomplishment. Right. Cause like, at the end of the day, what is getting drafted if you don't do the work afterwards, you know? So, True. Um, you know, and obviously it is something to celebrate. Absolutely best day of my life so far. Um, but I do think understanding that um, there is no destination and that the journey is everything. Like if you, if you have that perspective, then um, I feel like it makes more like more of those situations way more rewarding. Did you get after it, draft day? After did you have a pop, a couple of champagne, maybe a couple of white claws with the guys? Like, what was happening on draft yeah, day? For you? I was, I was, I was, I was. I think I had like, I was drinking beer the whole time. I think. Yeah, just I, celebrating. Yeah, and 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 just I was there the whole day. Like, I wasn't gonna sit there and just like, I mean, I had so much to think about the whole time. And honestly, there's so much of the draft that you just don't handle. Like, you just don't even like. Then you go into the draft with a plan with your agent and essentially um, you let the draft unfold. And unfortunately the way this draft works is the entire draft was guys just getting money cuts and guys, yeah. just, you know what I'm saying? And what it looked like was a lot of the teams, they, they went all out on their first two picks with as far as spending goes. And then like some organizations, it looked like they were punting the draft, you know, it was crazy. Um, and it kind of sad to, to a degree, but, um, I do, it was really interesting to see, um, you know, just how, how all that would play out in that sense, because, um, like I had my plan of thinking I was going to be, um, you know, constantly on the phone and I was constantly on the phone. Um, and I thought it was going to be like more, would you accept this? And would you accept that? But in reality, it was my agent calling me and telling me, Hey man, the market's down. They're cutting the hell out of everybody else. Stay in there. And it was tough for me because a kid who had, once I got into college campus, you know, I'm, that's what I'm there for. I'm there for one year, two year, three year, you know, go chase my dream, you know, go, go do the next goal. And thinking that for a second, you know, that it didn't work, you know, or, or thinking that you got to go back to the drawing board. It flusters you a little bit, you know, yeah. but, um, luck, fortunately for me, 
um, the area guy for the Brewers, he really believed in me um, and he really helped me out. So um, shout out to Smash. Um, if you're watching Ever Smash. Uh, legend of the game. I don't even know who he is, but he's a legend. I, Craig, he would have drafted me too. Yep. Craig Smashley, he's the, he's the, he's the Texas – uh, Texas and Louisiana Milwaukee Brewer Scout. He he's the one that hooked it up for me. What a legend! What a le- but was was part of you? And you can be honest here. When you have a couple beers and you obviously start thinking a little bit, like maybe worst case scenario, was a part of you kind of like, man, I might not even get drafted here, man. Like when you're getting into that fifth round, maybe were you kind of thinking like, damn, I got to go back to school now? Well, um, or sign or sign at, at the, least. At the end of the day, at the what did you say? Wait, what? Or sign like if if you didn't get drafted in the top five rounds, you can either sign for the te- the ten k that they were offering, or right. you have to go back to school, right? Correct, correct, yeah. And and at that point, um, you know, it had worked out for me where I had settled a deal um, before the draft was over. So at the beginning of the fifth round, I had settled a deal. Oh, so you already um, knew? You already had an idea? I had settled a deal um, prior, not with not with the Brewers. Um, but with another club, I had settled a deal. And then once I had, like, once we were able to negotiate, I was able to get more of my market value. And that's what it, be- it became. We always, we had that safe spot. Um, so it never got to the point where I was like, I'm not going to get drafted. Right. I was always like, okay, now I was going to be docked $200,000. Yeah. My bonus was going to take a dip, but I did have that, okay, at least it's not going to be 10K. Because, look, as, as the, the way the trajectory of the draft was going, I wasn't getting picked. Like, True, yeah. Started, like, the more the draft started falling, I was like, I was supposed to go way up there. And I was like, well, now I don't know. Like, who's to say? Like, they pretty much said after the first round, it was like, books are out the window. Like, everything you know about the draft, this is new territory. You know what I'm saying? So – um, it was just, it was a really uh, intricate experience. It wasn't what I was expecting it to be. Um, like I was expecting it to be like, oh, we all chill. It's like, they call you, it's like, hey, we're gonna pick you here. And you just sit and wait for it to happen. But instead, yeah. we were there at like 4 p.m. And I was sitting there like, with everybody sweating behind me, I'll be honest, like I was chilling because I knew it was going on, but I didn't tell nobody in the room, like, I just didn't feel like I wanted to, like, I knew what was going on, but I wasn't like, I told my dad some things here and there, but even then I was like, I want y'all to just relax. Like this got nothing to do with like y'all, like y'all fear. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you guys shouldn't be worried necessarily. Um, and I wanted them to relax. And it was kind of cool because they, they were like, once the third round started, they were picking up their phones and recording every pick. And I said, guys, put your phones down. Like, <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Put your so. phones down. I couldn't imagine because, and this happened with me because uh, I'm boys, like we had Cade Cavalli on the show and, okay. uh, and he, he was going first round. He's projected to go uh, top 15 picks at least, right? Like that's what they had him slotted at. Okay. And he kept sliding, sliding, sliding down. I was recording every single pick. I was like, maybe he's going to go here. Maybe he's going to go here. And then he got drafted by the Nationals. But I couldn't imagine what it's like to be a guy where you're projected to go top 15 and you kind of slip down at least to like later, later in the first round. It must be just inc- taking an incredible toll on you for that, being a first rounder. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that, that I could imagine, poof. I mean, and, and that's 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 a nice situation to be in. If you're yeah. – 
expected top 15. That's a lot better than being expected top four rounds in the, in the new five round draft. And it's like, True. Uh, okay. You know, what does that even mean? You know, but that's, I, I definitely understand what that feels like. It just, the thing that I didn't understand about the draft is, and obviously you can kind of speak on it now that it's over with for you is I just didn't understand the whole $10,000. If you get drafted after the fifth round, if you don't go out the fire, is that just the dumbest thing ever? Because if you think about this, right. I played with a guy, Jake Sanford, who went to the Yankees two years ago, 2019, played for Western Kentucky. He got 500K for the fifth round. I think it was 650K in the fifth round. So if you go sixth round, seventh round, you're still slotted for a pretty good amount of money, like 300,000, 400,000. And these kids are just settling for 10K. I just think that was just some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen of all time. And a guy like you that was in the draft, what was your thought process on that? Just the the dip and the signing price you get. You don't. Um, I think the way you look at it is they give these teams a pool of money and um, like I, they don't have to spend it. And I think that was the craziest part is like there was no incentivizing for these clubs to go pay these players. There's no incentive. So the players don't get paid. It's a business. It's not it's not it's not necessarily crazy to think about. It is supply and demand. It's like they just cut a bunch of you know, a bunch of minor league affiliates have just been cut. Right. And so jobs are fewer. So you would think that money in the draft may be more lucrative. You would think, but you know, the way this draft worked is I think a lot of teams were not sure about um, I guess what the future would hold from minor league baseball. So I think a lot of teams were almost hesitant as far as worrying about, yeah, minor league players and i just think um i think i think if there was an incentive like an incentivized you know idea as far as paying these players then we wouldn't have to worry about like you're saying like that 10k happened in free agency that doesn't necessarily have to be a thing for these clubs but the thing is like they were they they took it almost as like a penalty it was like if you're signing an extra player like you can only you can't do anything more. And I don't necessarily know what that was about. I don't know if that was to prevent players from just saying, screw the draft, we'll just go sign the best free agent deal. And that yeah. might have been part of it too. Like that makes sense too, thinking about that, thinking about it that way. But I don't know. It just sucks because I had a teammate who was a really good player. And I know if he finished out his year, um, and in a traditional draft, he would have been easy top 10 rounder. And that's Brandon Young. He plays for the Orioles now, but he ended up having a decision to make on day four or five about what organization you want to play for, for cheeseburgers. You know what I'm yeah, saying? And like, yeah. Look, it's And don't get it twisted. Right. I mean, what a tremendous honor to play professional baseball to any degree. Right. But for sure. Um, I just know the talent level and like, I know how much like a minor leaguer plays and, and uh, prepares, you know, now that I've been instructs and, and obviously I know how to prepare myself, but seeing how it's done in an organizational standpoint, like it's a lot of work, you know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know. I just feel like um, hopefully in the next few next year or so that that is restructured so that, you know, that doesn't have to happen again. I don't think it will. I, I don't think it will, but I also, you said you, you got your first mind of the experience, but I also feel bad for you in the aspect that you didn't kind of get to get shipped off to like a low A or a high A team and just see the shitty, 
the shitty ballparks, the shitty stadiums, the, the fans that get blackout drunk for dollar beer night at the stadiums, the fans heckling, the long bus rides. I Was part of you kind of like, damn, man, I mean, I just can't catch a break here. I have to go to Instructs, which is, well, like you said, it's sick to play professional baseball, but you didn't get to have that experience of going to a first-year low-A or high-A team and grind with the guys, you know? Absolutely. And, 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 and that's been the dream, you know, as much as, as much as people have talked about the big leagues, I remember vividly talking to my friends about how fun minor league baseball would be just, just talking about, and I'm a baseball nerd. So I really love, I really love just playing. You know, I, we just came back from hitting, we went hour late. Like that's just kind of how it goes. But like when, it, when it, we were talking about our friends, we're like, man, can you imagine just playing baseball with no school? Like, that's what we would think about. Yeah. Like you just play, can you imagine playing with no school? And so the idea of minor league traveling on a bus, going to different cities, like, yeah, it's going to, you're going to be tired. Your body's going to hurt. You're going to strike out like whatever. But like, for me, like that is the only thing I live for. Like I live for the stupidity of the minor league baseball grind. Like that is my favorite type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I love the minor leagues, man. I love them. Super crushed not be able to play play in them this year. Um, so, and we'll see. You know, I know, I think we have uh, like our Colorado team. I'm pretty sure they said is done. We like it doesn't exist anymore. So, what team was that? The what team was that? The the Colorado Springs vibes. Yeah, and dude, Colorado is such a sick part of the country to play in because I played JUCO beside there, in Nebraska. So I used to go to Colorado all the time, and Colorado is a sick place to play baseball. And you got to feel for those fans, man. I mean, the fans that are kind of loyal to the team, the the workers there, the ball boys, the bat boys, all those people that kind of surround their summers around that team, they kind of get screwed over because of this, which is just a shitty bounce to see. And I think. There's a lot of teams in the New York Penn League that are also getting just canceled too in uh, Staten Island maybe. I'm not sure, but I know there's a lot of teams doing Lowell's done. I know that. Yeah. So it's a a terrible balance, man. I mean, and this is a dumb question for me to ask, but what's going to happen? Because I know minor league teams obviously have a certain amount of players on their roster to be able to field teams for these like low A teams or whatever. What's going to happen to those guys? Are they just going to get released now? Well, a lot of guys have already gotten released. I think that's already kind of happened. Um, and I think a lot of that, like I said, has to go back to kind of related to like what I was saying with the draft in terms of how clubs look and like this is me being an employee. Like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I'm assuming that um, weren't sure about um, how many teams are going to be there. Lack of teams also. You know, we know of the teams that don't exist. Um, and I know a lot of players, you know, from what I've heard, um, it's just going to be since I think whenever, when all the clubs find out, you know, what are going to be the plans for 2021 as far as minor leagues and, and major leagues and whatnot, I think you're going to have more guys invited to spring training um, to come get their shots. And it's crazy because I play with a lot of guys on indie ball who had just gotten released for the first time. You know what I'm saying? And it yeah. was all, it was mostly COVID related, which is so unfortunate. Um, and then there, I remember asking them, I was like, so what's your plan? You know, what are you looking to do? And, you know, it was pretty much always like, man, I'm hoping I'm getting invited to a team in sp- for spring training, you know? And I'm like, man, what a roll of the dice. 
True. And what was that like, Indie Ball? Because I was going to bring that up. I mean, Indie Ball is as much the trenches as all time. I mean, you have guys there that are, like, former, like, played in the big leagues for a pretty good amount of time. And then you have guys that played in the minors, like, two years and done. So was that just, like, an insane experience to see the arms and all that there? Um, I had – it was probably – it was one of the most fun I've ever had playing baseball because for the first time it like, it really was like you take care of you and whatever, like that's how yeah. it goes. You know, indie ball is like, I don't give a, I don't give I don't care if you're ready. I don't care if you're not ready. Like you show up ready to play or you don't. And thing is like, it's really fun because, you know, in college you have your strength coaches and you have your hitting coaches and, they all put you through what they want you to do as far as routine and whatnot. Um, and it's, that's really nice. You know, that's, it's good to have. Um, and I really, but I really enjoyed an indie ball, how it was like, you go do your stretching, you go get loose. And I was like, ah, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of parts of your routine. You can set up, you know, you can do the way you do. And essentially it's like, how would you get ready for going play, wiffle ball at recess what would you think about what would you like it's those little fun like weird things where it's like man i'm just gonna play a kid's game like i'm gonna play with a bunch of men who are all older than me and have tons more experience but essentially it's like at the end of the day if i go and i go play my game my way you know i know that it's going to be productive for our team and it's like it was weird to to understand that because i come from a very like um, like our high school was running very like military style, like, and, and we were really good. We were fourth in the country, like, and we just rolled everybody in high school and college was very similar. We ran a very tight ship and, you know, very orderly and, and team oriented. And, you know, for some, that's a challenge, but for me, I always grew up in that. So I enjoyed that. But so going to Indy ball and seeing how individually based it is, um, was definitely a different perspective that, um, it really taught me is like you are in control of your career regardless. You know, there's nothing anybody can say um, or tell you to do that is necessarily going to get it done all the time. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, when you step in the box, you step on the mound or the ground ball is hit to you. It's like you got to figure out the mental wiring in your head to get it done. No, in indie balls, I, I used to just watch hilarious videos on YouTube of just the tryouts at indie ball, and you'd have like 55 year olds that think they're R.A. Dickey throwing knuckleballs, and then you'd have guys that were like just straight out of the Dominican that would run like six, four, 60 yard dashes and then just throw 98 across the diamond. It's the coolest yeah. shit of all time. It's honestly, yeah. did you, exactly. did you go to the, did you go to the indie ball tryout or no? You're just automatically on the team. I was automatically on the team. Okay, because you so you didn't get to see that tryout where it's just like random old dudes in Texas or wherever just trying to play <laughs> for the dream. No, no, I dodged that bullet. Oh, dude, honestly, I don't even want to even say it's dodging a bullet because I think it'd be electric to just be like, because obviously they, they, they do those games and you would get a live AB against uh, just some random old dude. Because I remember <laughs> this, like when we in, in Ontario where I live, where we used to have these MLB draft kind of showcases where anyone could show up. You just pay a fee and they would be like, they'd put you through the ringer. And there was this old dude, I'll never forget this, had long ass, greasy, disgusting hair. He was wearing a full Toronto Blue Jays jersey. Like, he had the pants. He had the jersey. And it was an R.A. Dickey jersey. He's wearing an R.A. Dickey jersey. He had the hat. And he was just in the bullpen throwing knuckleballs. And these big league scouts are crying of laughter at this dude. Like, they just couldn't contain it. Like, that, that's what I think when I think indie ball. Because it, it's just the funniest shit ever, how these old guys, man. 
That's awesome. <laughs> it's just, and and there's people, and I, I I've said this before. It, it's so crazy to think like how a mind can control the way a person thinks. Like that guy probably thought like he went went home to his wife and kids, and he's like, "Holy shit, I carved in that bullpen." Like I'm, <laughs> right. I'm getting the call. Like I'm right. getting the call. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mentally they could go there. Like that 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 could happen. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's crazy how like delusional some people can be with that. It's 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 honestly like I want to go back and interview that guy and get him on the pod. The coolest part for me, yeah, that would be sick. That'd be really <laughs> sick. And the cool part for me though is seeing like how the, this delusionalism like is productive for some players. That is yeah. the coolest part because then you learn like that's the game. Like that is the game for so and so. Like this this delusional thought is also what guides like their approach in the box. And it, it also guides like how they think about the game pre-pitch and everything. It's yeah. crazy, but like those are all tied together. And that's the, that's a cool part to think about. Yeah. And that, it, it definitely goes into the game of baseball because at some point you have to be delusional in the game of baseball. Like if you're a guy like me who at 180 in Juco, one of the best fall hitters in the country, you you kind of go into the batter's box at some point and you kind of got to pretend that you're hitting like 330. Like you just yeah. have to kind of pretend that you're good at the game of baseball. And how, have you kind of caught yourself in that situation when you're kind of struggling and you just have to be delusional every once in a while and be like, man, I'm not like you were nasty, but do you have to be like, man, I'm, I'm hitting fine. My stance is good. Everything's going good here. I think my friends would tell you probably a little overly delusional. <laughs> um, yeah, because like, I've always come from being the undersized kid. I always come from being like the underdog and um, like I was actually slow in high school. So like that was another set of challenges and stuff. Yeah. So when it came down to being able to perform, like I, I, if I don't go in there with the, like the mental capacity that I can inflict damage in the box, I can play the best defense, then I never will. Like the kid who is bigger and faster than me is going to out, he's going to outperform me in every aspect. So like, I'll be honest, I get to the ballpark and I hit BP and I'm like, that was such a shit round of batting practice. But I step in the box and it's like, yo, screw that round of batting practice. There's no better hitter right now than me. Like I trust what I have with me right now, a hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? And I yeah. think like, I think that's helped me a lot because um, it's, it's allowed me to not give any like reps away. Like when I get in the box, like you're going to get every bit of me until a, the said bat ends in me with a win or ends with me in a loss. Like you, I will not give away a pitch. I'm going to be locked in. Like I will never have a mental error because of that. Now I also will make, I'll make physical errors because I continue to just do the same things over and over again. But you know, the fine line in baseball is like, how consistently can I be to progress and not regress, right? I need to stay consistent enough to build up a habit that's good. I can't build up a habit that's bad. And that's my problem. My problem is I'm so delusional and I believe so much in what I do sometimes that I'll end up creating a bad habit. But whenever I start believing and firmly believing in something I know that's right for me, then I usually get really good results. And that's why part of me kind of wishes that you went 
junior college, like to a, a trench junior college, because that the JUCO route is where you see the the, the tip of the iceberg of delusional human beings. Like there's guys at JUCO. I, I'm not going to name the names, but there's guys that were on the basketball team, the baseball team that were just like, I'm going, I'm getting drafted. Like I'm going to the show and they would be shooting like 20% from three point, like from three point <laughs> range. And they'd be hitting like 260, 270 in the Juco in Nebraska. It's just not realistic. It's crazy because I was the kind of guy, like I was the team jester. I was the fuck around guy on the team where I would be like, I would be like looking at these guys and saying, Dude, you're not getting drafted. Like I would <laughs> like, bro, you're not getting drafted. And if you prove me wrong, I'll put my hand up, but I will put my life savings. You're not getting drafted. And sometimes some people have to have that kind of person in their life because you could you could ruin yourself if you're if you're you delusional could. to a point. Like you Certainly. really could. Because if there's and- that guy, there was guys on the baseball team that thought they were going to get drafted, thought they were going to go to a high D1, so they wouldn't do anything in school, and they'd be like, no, I'm going to get drafted. Why do I have to worry about schoolwork? And then they fail. So, like, it, it, you have to, at some point, you have to have a, a guy there telling you, dude, you better start focusing on your books. Like Sam yeah. Ellinger, like Sam Ellinger, if the quarterback sexes, he better start focusing on school because that boy's going nowhere. But the, you got you got you to have guys telling you that stuff, right? No doubt, man. I think I think the most important thing for me is, is I got – I got, uh, like, my best friends in my life are also, like, they're my biggest, like, shit talkers. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly, like, yeah. My best friend is my is my biggest, like, river. And I'm his biggest river, you know what I'm saying? And, like, that that's the way it's supposed to work, you know? I, I got this delusional mindset, and I got this over-obsessive work mindset. Um, and I know my goals are. And the, the coolest part is, like, and it's been the most important, is, like, if you train around guys who don't think like that, then that's a bad problem. It's also equally as bad if you train with people like that who also don't tell you where you're messing up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's like, for me, I go, me and my, like, when we go to work, like, we got we got a plan. We're working on this today, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what are you working on? And so the whole day, like, it is accountability. And it's not like we're like, we're not being hardos. Like, I'm not up his, like, I'm not, I'm not up there with him. Like, we're obviously just chilling, getting our work in. But the thing is, like, we don't let like multiple, like if he makes the same mistake three times in a row, it's like, yo, yo, man, like if he doesn't make the fix, like I'm going to tell him like, yo, change it. Like this needs to change. And that's what we got. We got a really good functional system where, you know, we're able to get the things we want out of our work and um, our training and stuff to where we can hopefully get what we want to show up in the game. You know what I'm saying? So for sure, I'd say that's really important as far as that delusional aspect is concerned. And, and this is also me being delusional in saying this. I said this. I say this on Instagram lives when I go live with guys. I and you could back me up on this. I think if you take my skill level that I had in JUCO and you plot me in the 1940s in the major leagues when the pitchers are throwing 84, I think I would hit 300 plus. Like, what are you thinking here? Because guys are throwing 84. They work. They're maybe working out like they're counting taxes at a, at a bank. And then they just go and play for the Yankees, in my opinion. It's yeah. a hilarious chirp. But I think in the 1940s, what do you think? I think in the 1940s, yeah. I'd be a 300 plus hitter. I think, um, I think, I think relevance is very important when you talk about time periods. Um, because um, essentially everybody in every decade, they all do things that are very similar. And it is the one or two guys who do things slightly different and slightly better are the people who who sh- who shoot up, right? Um, and you have those guys like Ronald Acuna, 
and Juan Soto. Everybody else has the goal of what they're trying to do. I'm trying to hit the ball here at this, whatever. Yeah. And Ronald Acuna just and Juan Soto, quite simply, do it better, right? And then back then, you look at the guys and the way they played, right? Back then, the way the game was centered around, I'll be honest, you can't hit 84 out every time if you don't have a big league ball. Like, I've hit big league balls, and I've hit minor league stadiums. It does not go out in some places. It just doesn't go out in some places. So, like, this is devil's advocate, obviously, right? (laughs) Just shitting on my dream. Right, right. (laughs) But if you are playing in in the – if you are playing in that era and they are throwing 84 and you hit like you're hitting today, a million percent you'll hit 330. Yeah, I think I would be. You'd be hearing stories about me and the Baseball Hall of Fame in New York at Cooperstown Dreams Park. They'd be having murals of me and shit. <laughs> I think that's what would be happening there if I was in the 1940s. And you mentioned Acuna and you mentioned Juan Soto. Those guys, if you take their skill level now in the 19th, they would be hitting legitimately 700 plus. Like those guys are freaks. And the, and the the I'm telling you the way that the pitchers are today, they continue to get better. I mean, I know I'm saying that because I just on the cups of professional baseball, but I study the game pretty religiously. And it's like, I remember I watched a fastball documentary and they're like, it was about like Pedro Martinez and it was all those guys. And they're like, these guys are, they're popping the mitt, whatever. It was like a little montage or something. It was, yeah. um, it was an old like blooper, MLB bloopers movie. It was one of my favorites. And it was like Pedro. It was like these guys are throwing 96 miles an hour. I'm like, I go to instructs in the righties, the lefties, the submarine guys. They all throw 96 miles an hour. And then they also <laughs> throw this one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's like, it's like you got those. And then you got the guys like, like the gener- once in a generation players. So like you can go back in past generations. Sandy Koufax is going to shove in any generation. True. Yeah. Pa- Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan too. Like and back then, it's even cooler when you go look back at those guys because the guys who who did the modern stuff back then, those are the most impressive players for me. The yeah. Ted Williams, the the like you said, the Nolan Ryan, the Sandy Koufaxes of the world because they were able to do what we are trying to do with data. We can't even manipulate the data all the time to get that when they were just so unbelievably gifted that they could just do it. True. And you did this funny thing that I saw on Twitter where you pretty much said, fuck you to analytics. You were bunting on a shift in instructs. They, they were playing the shift on you and Hayden over here steps up to the plate and says, I'm going to take my one for one and I'm going to bunt oppo. What kind of went into that? And that pitcher, by the way, looked like he wanted to murder you when you did that. So what went into that thought process? You know, that was pretty funny. Um, I'm a baseball player. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not, I, I don't really care about, uh, about rules. Like I play to either play to win, or if I'm an instruct scenario, I'm going to practice the habits in a game environment that are going to allow me to win. So if in a game and I got spray charts, right? Cause when you go to minor league baseball, every team you play, they have every swing you've ever took your entire life. Somehow they have it. I don't know how they do but they know where you hit the ball and where you've hit the ball the past five years. Okay. So they line up when I get to the box, they are already lined up where they know I hit ground balls. You know what I'm saying? And so my thing is like, I'm an elite base runner. And so like me being on first is me being on second and me being on like, 
I'm in scoring position at first base on some, on a lot of balls. Like there are a good amount of baseballs that I can score on first. And the way they kind of coach it in pro ball is like, you're not really supposed to take the two out bunt. They're like, it's kind of bullshit. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, why is it bullshit? You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm a good base runner and I'm known, like if I can get to second base on the next pitch, why would I not do the hardest part of the game when there's an easy cheat for it? The hardest part of the game is getting on base. Like, Say how say whatever you want. Yeah. Hardest thing to do. Oh, I know. I know it's the hardest. I know it's, it's getting, the hardest. Getting on base, right? And so like that went into that. But it was pretty funny because I got to first base and he goes, like he, the pitcher was like, Man, I hate the shift. Like I knew you were gonna do it. Like, and the thing is, like, that's that's part of the funny part too, because like there are pitchers who pitch like better to straight up defenders, and there are pitchers who are really good shift pitchers. Yeah. But, like, not all of them do both. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's interesting. It's like a lot of pitchers get pissed when it's like a ground ball that gets through. But some of the pitchers understand. They're like – so the idea of the shift in, in, in simple terms is like they line up where your ground balls are. They're not going to line up where your line drives are because your line drives are doubles. Like that's, that's how the game is presumed. Like you hit a ball at this trajectory at this velo – for if sure. it's not right at somebody, it's okay if it's in the gap. Yeah. You know? And and I think that's like that's something that's so like interesting to me, but it also makes so much sense, you know. Yeah, no, and the the cool thing uh, the thing actually it's not even cool. I hate analytics. Like I, I don't hate analytics, but there's certain aspects of analytics that I think are just the dumbest shit ever, obviously with the Blake Snell pull in the World Series and all that. Yeah. But there's a lot of good parts to the analytics and all that, but are, would you consider yourself kind of an analytic guy as, with the way you train and all that? Or are you kind of old yeah. school where it's? Yes. So I'd say like uh, in core, like I'm as old school of a player you'll probably find. Like I'm, I'm all for the old school ways of doing everything um, as far as like traditionally in the batter's box and like mentally. But um, I just think there's so much new information as far as like learning how to train more efficiently and um you know, and, and just I, th I think as far as like just understanding um, like the limits of your game is also important as well, because I think limit like the problem with the numbers is people think that they can accomplish every number all the time. And the thing is, like there is a gray area between where you're accomplishing the numbers and where you're not accomplishing the numbers. Like there is a feel aspect. There is an understanding aspect that will either sometimes allow you to exceed or accomplish those numbers or not. And I think the proud, like the whole in analytics is that um, when the goal in the aspect, excuse me, when the goal is the presumed result and not how to accomplish X or how to accomplish the result, this is where you get the miscommunication between old school and analytics. Cause essentially I have a lot of old school core beliefs that translate directly to my analytic game. So it's yeah. like, I need to get more lift on the ball. Well, I need to feel this. I need to get, like, I need to make contact slightly more out in front, blah, blah, blah. And, like, when I backtrack it, it is analytical in sense. But, like, getting, the, like, having someone say, get the head out, like, that feels old school to me. You know for what I'm sure. saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it. I don't know, man. I, I'm so-and-so with analytics, especially with just how weird the game of baseball is with the shifts and all that kind of take. Because in my opinion, man, the shift 
takes away from the pitcher being able to kind of pitch to a ground ball the other way, right? Pitched for a pitch for a double play ball and all that. And I just think it takes away kind of the beauty of the game by just kind of cheating away, like cheating, making it, forcing a hitter to pull a ball because you have your, your whole infield on the right side of the field. I just think it's the dumbest shit ever. Sometimes I I would say, but I'm also a defender too. I, I play, I play third, I play short and I play second. And the way our organization plays we play in a heavy shift all the time. We, yeah. play with one, we play with one infield on the backside, and every ground ball is an out, every one of them. Yeah, see, that's the good part of it too, and right? I mean, as a pitcher, that's what you're playing for. So we play with three guys on one side, and so a lot of times I got like – I usually the shortstop or the third baseman, usually it depends on the personnel you got out there. But I'm usually the guy left on the wide side at times – um and it's like every offside ground ball you still have plenty of time because the way big like these pro surfaces are and and how hard these hitters hit the ball like if i'm playing deep on the grass on the wide side i have enough range to go cut that ball off on the entire dirt and throw you out yeah so and that's the thing like when so when they roll over you do want three guys on that side so they don't get the cheap four hole hit True, but and and I'll be honest, they don't shift on guys who are good hitters or who are good. Like Mike Trout's not getting a shift. Like neither is Juan Soto or Acuna. Yeah, true. You know what I'm saying? But there are outliers like Mookie Betts. You're gonna shift on Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts doesn't hit balls to his backside as much anymore. True. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. He does. He does, but if you go look at his MVP, uh, his 2018 spray chart, go look at his spray chart now. That's Fenway Park, and and now you'll start to understand where it's like, well, in some of these ballparks, these are outs, and you know, and and that's that's the crazy part because you get a lot of mix of that in pro ball. You got a lot of like pitchers pissed that we're in a shift, pitchers pissed that we're not in a shift on certain guys. Yeah, it it varies. It varies yeah. with each pitcher. But no, man. I mean, I, you, you mentioned the Cape Cod here, and I and I love the Cape Cod also because there's a sh- just a shit ton of dogs that play in the Cape Cod, and then they'll obviously leave to go play for Team USA. Who was the best kind of guy you got to see a short period of time with in the Cape Cod? Like a guy that's like a first overall pick, like Torkelson or guys like that. Nick Gonzalez. I, Nick Gonzalez was the most impressive hitter I've ever seen with my eyes in person. Really? Yeah. I'll, as of now, like I would take that with me to my grave. Like he was in person, he was the most impressive hitter I've ever seen. He's the New Mexico State guy, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I, I think I, I, I think he faced my buddy's team, and he had like four bombs in a weekend. Like he's just a freak of nature. This kid. He hit five home runs in one day. I remember they had a doubleheader, and he hit five home runs. Oh, that was against my buddy's team. That was against te- Texas. Southern University. Yes, they won like 30. (laughs) We were roasting my buddy. They won like 40 to nothing or some shit. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Nick Gonzalez, he's a freak. And it's it's kind of cool to see guys from schools that I guess you can say kind of small like that go in the first round, right? It's unreal. The walk-on. Yeah, a walk-on from a small school go first round. It's crazy. But do you think that – a guy that was a walk-on like that, do you think he was one of those walk-ons where he had several offers, but he wanted to go to New Mexico State, or was he just, yeah. like, not good? Okay. He was. Okay. Because when, I I when I hear walk-on, I don't know about you, but the, the term walk-on gets kind of used loosely. 
right? In some scenarios, but you also have to like, like for, and, and my sake, right. If I didn't, like I would have made, I would have most likely stayed home and gone to UL and played baseball here, regardless of my offers, because this is the most affordable option for my family. Yeah. Regardless okay. of anywhere. And I, I know Nick personally. Um, and I know for him, it was about having his family at the games. Now it's not like he's, it's not like he's talking, we're talking about some LSU and some like majestic school. Like we're talking about New Mexico state, like, Exactly. Like Nick Gonzalez didn't get an offer to New Mexico State. Like, like say what you want. Like, I understand, like, there are people that are walk-on. And, yes, I do know like, the, that is a very loose term. And it is used way too loosely in a lot of – Way too – way, dude. Way. Because there's a lot of people getting a lot of benefits being a walk-on. I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he was like – I remember talking to him. He was like, man – I or I heard him talk saying – I remember what he was talking to – he wanted his family at the games and like, he's like, he's a very family oriented guy. So like he real life was like, I think he didn't have any lavish offers, like none. And so, and so Which is like, crazy. yes. And I, I remember watching him and I watched his high school stuff. I watched his little recruitment videos and I'm like, I mean, this is exactly like, and no offense to the kids who send it to me. Cause it's actually a compliment to them, but there are kids that send me video and they're like, hey, man, tell me what you think, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I mean, this is no different than what Nick Gonzalez was doing prior to college. True. The, pro- the difference was he got on campus and was the man. Like, he chose to be a man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, go. In every scenario, he overaccomplished. His first year, he hit whatever. His second year, he hit over 500. And they're like, okay, we still don't believe this. We're going to go put you in the cape on a temporary contract. All right, whatever. He plays there. He comes back the next year and plays the year the second time for the Cape because he had played in the Cape the year before on a temporary. He wasn't even a permanent contract yeah, yeah. player. And he came back. And I remember, like, I remember thinking this myself and be like, well, he plays in New Mexico. And then I'm like, Hayden, you're an idiot. He's hitting 500. Like, <laughs> it's 500 anywhere. It's, it's, it doesn't matter where the hell he's yeah, hitting. He's yeah. hitting 500. And I remember telling myself that I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm an asshole for saying that. I remember thinking that. Well, and then I watched him hit, and I'll be like, man, shout out to him, man. Like, he got an environment where he can go and overachieve. And like, look, if you can hit in the cape, like, you have plenty of opportunities to just pull away from everybody. And that's like, I remember the first week, like I had a really good first week and we were like just statistically like together in every category. And then I remember like, I had like one, I had like a hat trick or something. And I was like, man, I lost my momentum. And then I looked up and he was like, home run, home run, home run, <laughs> home run double looked up. And it was like, your Cape Cod player of the day is Nick Gonzalez, four for five, two doubles. And I'm like, he's doing it again. He doesn't stop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it's just so cool. You know, like you said, like looking, looking back at that. And I know there's a lot of discouraged, you know, high school kids who are like, man, I'm not getting any offers. I know I get a lot of messages like Hayden, is it too late for me to keep thinking about baseball? And I'm like, to be honest with you, it's never like, if you love the game and I know it's like a lot of people think you can't play past, like, but like you can take years off and go to school and be a student and still say, and still train to be a baseball player. Like, and I know guys who have like, they've dropped it. And this is insane. And this is very small, but like, I know guys who have dropped it and they've picked it up and they're like, 
like they're back. You know what I'm saying? And it's insane. That is the coolest part for me. And that's, like I said, it happens very small, but like, I think it's an important message for like a bunch of kids. I know we're struggling through all the can't go play, getting seasons canceled, games canceled. Like, what do you think about for your life? Like, do you like the game or not? And I just think it's important to understand that even in a scenario of Corona in a Corona draft, I think it's like epitomizes like the walk on kid who is under six feet tall is not 200, 180, 90 pounds. Yeah. Best player. You know, he, he got a lot of money. He got a lot of money. He got paid. He got you know paid. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very like motivational, even for me, you know, I, he's my peer, but like, he's also a role model in that facet to me. You know what I'm saying? For sure. For sure. And I have a bone to pick with you because I was creeping your Instagram here and you posted on your story. I don't know when it was a Russ song. What, what, what's up with that? Are you a Russ guy? Yeah. I, I, oh, yikes. I like, I like, I like his energy. Like, I, I think he's like, uh, that's funny. You want to pick that and that's fine. But like, he's a winner and he's like, he's on the Forbes list. Like everybody, like he's, he's so hated, like you hate him and he's on the Forbes list. Yeah, no, he, he's a successful guy. I just, I think all of his flow and everything he does is kind of the same shit. Like, cause I used to see him when I was in Juco, it's all the same. Yeah. I, I like the story. Like I'm, I like listening to podcasts and he, yeah. he's, I've listened to him on like, uh, like flex, um, like for funk flex and with sway in the morning. And yeah. like, like you can go listen to those. And then if you tell me you don't like his music, then you'll understand. But like, I don't know. He's like, he's like an underdog, like kind of right. But he's also a kid who's like, who's also like, he's had it pretty good too. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah, not sure. necessarily like, I can't relate to like I've been through my own struggles with like with whatever in life, but like there are people who don't always come from struggle and like, I don't know, like I can't always relate to, to every rapper, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I still like the flow. And for me, like I can relate to Russ because in a way, like he is his producer, he makes his own beats, he writes his own lyrics and he performs them all and he books his own shows. Yeah, you gotta respect you got, that. You got rappers now who only do the singing, like they only read what's on the paper. Like they get all the fame and then but all the money goes to their producer. And I respect Russ because he didn't settle for a deal to dish out all his money and all his cash is in his pocket. True. So you're saying he's like me, because I produce this podcast, I edit, I grind, I get the guests. See, you're, you're comparing me to Russ. See, you're listening. You're listening. <laughs> I I, I like I like the stories though. That's where I'm at. So can we so can we agree on this then? Can we? Because I'm a Toronto guy. Can we agree that Drake's the goat? Like Drake's the man. Lil Wayne's the goat. Okay, I for me because I for me like you said you like the story. He's from Toronto. He's obviously I'm close to Toronto. That's why Drake's the goat. Drake's Drake when right now Drake he's number one. It's undebatable. There it is. I can see. I can I can respect that. And, and just all time, I'm biased. Like you got Toronto, I got I got boot bias. Yeah, like no, I, for I, sure. And Lil Wayne's a legend. Hopefully, he gets freed. I, he's obviously in the. I think he's in the bin now. With I heard the, about yeah, that. you hate to see it. You hate I was to see listening, it. I was listening. To, um, I had Controller on this morning. I Banger. My uh, Cheney, uh, my best friends Cheney and Austin. We would used to, we used to. <laughs> We used to sing that. Uh, that was one of banger. our pre things. We'll sing Control on. <laughs> what a banger of a song. He has so many. But this is the last thing here. You mentioned the pregame routine. 
what's your pregame routine? What do you do? Are you superstitious? What's going on here? Um, I think it just depends on the day. I think um, I think like, are you, you packing pack- a dip? You having a dip with the boys, or what's going on? I, I'm not a dip guy. I I like to chew. Like if I do tobacco, but yeah. Like okay, as of late, I kind of stopped the tobacco habit. Um, I think pregame for me has been like a lot of. It has just been a lot of like just like trusting. You know what I'm saying? I'll watch my video. Um, and I guess I'll give it to you like the way instructs. That was the last game we played. So um, essentially it's like we would have our um, we would have our practice days and then they give us like 40 minutes. Excuse me. Like if we're, if we're, uh, if we're at home, take like 40 minutes where it would be like in the locker room uh, and we can shower and stuff. So I'll go knock out a shower because um my hair looks you want to get the hair right you want to get the hair right gotta get the hair right it's got to fit in the hat and then you don't want to put on a nice milwaukee brewers jersey smelling like must you know what i'm saying that's a good point you go get cleaned up um and then i'll go sit in my locker and then man i'll be honest like a lot of it is just like taking a breath like so much of it is so overwhelming and mental that like being unmen- unmental for like two or three minutes is like, that's how I'll get into my locker. So I'll put like my AirPods in and like, I'll start queuing like my, um like my little, like good vibes playlist. Like I really like John Mayer. Okay. And, um, like I'll like start into that groove. And then like, by the time, like we're getting ready to walk out the locker room on the way to the field, then I'll start playing like, I'll play like my Kevin Gates and like whatever is going to pump me up, like whatever it is for that day. But as far as like routine, like back in school, I remember um, like I, I would have a nap like on a Friday night game because those are the big night, big games you play. Um, you go to class, you go grab your lunch from the field because I was back then we had lunch um, at school and then I take it to the apartment um and i like it was it was the same routine except it was like shower there um and i remember it was an ice honey bun i'd eat a heist and ice (laughs) oh um because that was this wow so this is an old tradition so this goes back to where i was in high school for football um they used to call me the ice man that was my nickname was the ice what a name what a name yeah it was kind of (laughs) cool um but so my thing was like I always had iced honey buns anyway, though. Like, that was always my favorite snack or whatever. Yeah. So, on game days, like, I just post a little stupid Snapchat story of me eating the iced honey bun. And then so, like, soon it became, like, all game days and, like, high school. And then when I got to college, like, it was an iced honey bun. So, then some of my friends started picking it up. And it was, like, on their game days, they would eat an iced honey bun, whatever. I don't know. There's just a lot of stupid stuff that I would do on a game day that, <laughs> If I had a camera, I would be like, oh, and this is another thing I do. This is another thing that I do. But I'll be honest, like, I don't like eating a big meal on game day. for sure. I like like eating a lot of snacks. Like, I'm a big, like, on game day, I know it's kind of weird, but, like, I'll eat, like, a breakfast. And then, like, probably, like, when everybody else would probably be eating, like, a big meal, like, before the game, like, I'll just snack. Like, I'll eat, like, a Snickers. You know what I'm saying? Because, like – I feel like when I go into the game with like a heavy stomach, I just underperform every time. Like if yeah. I feel full, I underperform. Dude, and I usually catch myself, or well, I used to, when I, for pregame, I would be eating 
like I, I would specify the meals if I'm doing well. Like, so if I ate like a protein bar before I a game, I and I went like two for or one, one for three is a good day for me. Obviously, 180 average. I would be like, I'm eating this next game. Like, <laughs> I, I'm I have to eat this or I'm screwed. No doubt. No doubt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think like. I think like the fun, like the humor in a, in a baseball player is like we would do. So we would do stuff like that as well. So like that just brought me another reminder. Like I used to do like protein bar reviews, like on game day on Snapchat. <laughs> like I would, I would, I would, I would take a, a random a bar that I got from the gas station and I'd give it to somebody. I'd be like, give me a review. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> just, just keep everybody loose. And so something like that, when that person hits a home run, it just certainly becomes like, hey, man, we're doing a protein bar review again. Like, we just yeah. – just... so you just tell me what you're getting at the station or whatever, and then I'll get ready to eat it type thing. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's stupid stuff like that where it's like, oh, I lost this bet. And I remember, like, my freshman year of college, I forgot who I bet, but, like, I bet – it was like loser. It was like a Sunday game, and like we were dragging. Like it's just, it's like that some days. Like you just drag. Sure. And it was like you lose. Whoever loses the bet doesn't wear any like slides like under his pants. Oh. So, oh. so I wore no underwear, and I went nuke. Like I went deep. And so I commando. Was like, this is lit. Like I never told <laughs> nobody. And it's a Sunday game. You get Monday off, so I forgot about that. And then Tuesday I suck. But. Going back, I probably should have not worn underwear on the Tuesday game. Yeah, you shouldn't have. Honestly, you shouldn't have. It's kind of it's a cool look, and it's a like it's kind of electric to be honest. You feel everything's flowing. It's kind of it's a cool thing to have, but it's a yeah, it's a cool thing to have, man. But anyways, bro, I mean, we got to collab or some shit. And I wanted to mention this. We got to get your YouTube page to ten thousand. Ten thousand. We got to get that buzzing. Yeah, we're 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 at like seventeen now. We're we're, we're cre- we got to creep on twenty five. Creeping on twenty five. Well, you're at seventeen thousand right now. Yeah. Humble brag, whatever. So yeah. I, I mean, we got to collab then, because we got to we got to get the. I mean, obviously we're doing pretty well. Humble brag, we're doing pretty well here, but we got to get the, we got to get the collab, the official and official collab. Maybe I'll send you I'll send you our year anniversary shirt right behind me. Wait a second. Right there. Oh. man on the moon shirt man on the moon so That's i'll send sick. you that and maybe you'll get that buzzing maybe on a, on a video maybe when you're doing pull downs or some shit whatever i don't know what you got i mean you guys are buzzing i'll send you one out i get i'll get you one sent out but yeah man i mean that youtube page twenty thousand almost holy shit i would risk a testicle to have that many fall like have that many subscribers i i do it it's just consistency that's one thing i learned about the content game and for for anybody else who's interested in in getting the content it's just, it's just like, you know, it's just been about like the, it's been about the consistency. Like I remember my first YouTube video is the most shit thing I've ever produced ever. And I go back and look at it. I'll be like, thank God I started there because my content now is all a derivative of that. It's all been like clip that close that. But if I don't post as often as I do, I never learn those things, you know? And the coolest part has been to see like how many people are really a lot of people just want to see the journey. Like as many people want to know what's going on with um, like in my life necessarily, like some people just like to be a part of like something that's continuous. You know what I'm for saying? Sure. Like, for sure. The content, seeing how that works for me is really neat. Yeah, no, for sure, man. So can we get this quote out of you? Can you say this is the most electric baseball podcast on the planet? Maybe get a little quote out of Hayden over here. Let's get it. 
I'll shout you out on YouTube, no doubt. I got you. Oh, that's that's, that, that's all. I, I, I well, I mean, the most electric baseball podcast on the planet. We'll say that. We'll say that most, right now. We're gonna say it right now. Hayden, Hayden has a stamp cool. of approval. I'm putting that on my grave, maybe on my resume. So thank you yeah. for hopping on this. I appreciate it. For sure, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.